Greetings, friends. Eric Wilkes here with another episode of Knee Deep in the Duck Blind. And today we have a very, very special guest for you. I'm super excited to have this guy here that's graciously donating some of his time to hang out with us and talk about duck hunting. Uh, we have Mike Brasher from Ducks Unlimited, and you can see the website. It's up right there. But first of all, you know, Mike, I want to take a second and say thank you for being here with us, man. We're super excited to have you on. Hey, do you mind? I'm sorry to kind of do this to you. Do you mind if we kind of start over to get my my last name right there? That's one of the things that my dad my dad always kind of wanted to make sure we tried to do. Yes. So it's it's Brazier, long A. It's, it's spelled and spelled as though it would be, would be pronounced Brasher, and I I get that every now and then. But yeah, on these types of things, so I do like Brazier. Yep. Yeah, if you don't mind, I you know. No, no, we're all good, man. It's easy enough to cut this stuff out and edit it. So okay. better to do it now than in the middle. <laughs> They're right, 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 right. So we can just start over if you want to. Yep. So Mike Brazier. Greetings, friends and fellow duck hunters. Eric Wilkes here with another episode of Knee Deep in the Duck Blind with Duck Hunting Fanatics. And today we have a very special guest on with us. And I'm super excited to have this guy here. Uh, we have Mike Brazier from Ducks Unlimited. So, Mike, thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm excited to just talk duck hunting, but uh, you know, first and foremost, like you know, I know we talked a little bit before we got this started, and uh, I I don't know any duck hunter that hasn't heard of Ducks Unlimited. So, give us a quick update on what you've got going on at Ducks Unlimited. What's new for 2022? Well, this is a really exciting year for a number of reasons. I mean, first, I'll just say thanks to everyone that's listening to this. That's a Ducks Unlimited member. We appreciate the support uh, from all of our members, all of our sponsors, donors. We have over 700,000 members and supporters, and so we have we take a lot of pride in that and connecting with all those members. Uh, this is our 85th anniversary year. That's why, I mean, it's, it's really special. We're getting ready for a blowout national convention in New Orleans July 13th through the 16th, I believe, are the dates. The first time in over three years that we've had a national convention due to, of course, all the pandemic-related cancellations. And we as an organization, a lot of our members are super excited about that. So if folks are interested in that, just kind of go on our website and search for Ducks Unlimited National Convention. 85 years of conservation, and we're really in a, in a fantastic place organizationally. It's been a really, you know, it's a strifeful year couple of years given the pandemic but it's it's pretty remarkable remarkable to work for an organization that has come through that time actually in better condition better financial strength than we were going into it it's from from a conservation perspective the runway for what we're we're doing now the way we're attracting new partners while hanging on to our existing partners, building those relationships is super, super exciting. You know, we were founded by hunters in 1937 and continue to to honor the, those people as the core of our membership and the ones that really make it happen. But we're entering this era where broader society is really recognizing the benefits of wetlands conservation well beyond waterfowl habitat and any, and even wildlife habitat in general. And so we have a crackerjack team, fantastic team of scientists and biologists that are leveraging those benefits, flood water retention, uh, water purification, uh, coastal community resiliency, aquifer recharge, a whole host of things, fisheries habitat. Uh, to attract new partners to the wetland conservation mission. And so it's a 
it's a really exciting. Although I'm a waterfowl scientist by training and by uh, by occupation, man, it's exciting to be involved in a in a conservation venture that is reaching so many different parts of our of our human society right now. It really is. So great times for, for Ducks Unlimited. Yeah, and that sounds really exciting because you know it really does go beyond just the conservation and how you can impact the the total ecosystem in any one environment, which impacts people at the end of the day. It's pretty amazing, you know, what you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, and I think a lot of hunters or as hunters, a lot of times we fail to realize or what, 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 what more mainstream fails to realize is that we truly are as hunters, the funders of that conservation. And I think it's undervalued. It's underappreciated a lot of times. And, and it's largely because people just aren't educated. They don't realize that the license fees and then the, the organizations like Ducks Unlimited and then the people that actually are, are the hunters that are also the members of that. And then you're taking and reinvesting that into the environment and back into the, the into the uh, conservation programs that you guys fund. And so it's awesome to hear that, you know, it's finally mainstream is starting to understand, right? The average everyday person that's maybe never hunted is finally starting to realize the value and impact and realize that hunters as hunters, like we're needed, we're needed as part of the society, we're needed in order to make these programs possible. So thank you guys for what you're doing and the impact that you're making. Yeah, absolutely. And I was at a conference just last week, it was like an aquatic societies conference where we interacted with all sorts of fisheries ecologists and stream ecologists and water quality specialists. And it was amazing having that conversation, we had a booth, Ducks Unlimited booth there, and it was amazing to have those conversations with people have them understand the role that not just hunters but anglers play in conservation of all of our natural resources. And it's it's pretty easy to get excited about wetlands conservation because it does touch so many aspects of the things that are valuable to, to our society. And to have over 2,000 people there kind of recognize the critical role that, that anglers and then with, with Ducks Unlimited's case – hunters play in that conservation arena is, is pretty special. It's fun to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to get into talking about shift gears here. I want to get into talking a little bit about hunting because I'm sure you, you know, you're, you're involved on the conservation, uh, conservation side. You see a lot, you hear a lot, you travel to different parts of the country. Uh, just to just get started on this topic, What's your favorite area of the country so far that you've uh, visited to that you've visited uh, from a hunting perspective, from a hunting perspective? Well, uh, it's I'm going to have to go. Can I go into Canada? Because it's going can. to be, it's gonna have to be Saskatchewan, <laughs> the land of the living skies. Is there any place better than Saskatchewan if you're a waterfowl hunter or even bird hunter in general? Uh, that's, you know, hands down. I was fortunate to experience that a number of times. And most of the times when we went, we, we freelanced it. Uh, it takes a while to kind of get up to speed on that. And, of course, some of the laws up there, trespass laws, have changed, which add a little little additional complexity now. But certainly it's, it's, always, uh, it, it's always still – it's still doable. But hands down, Central Va- – uh, say Central Valley. I was running through the mind of some of the other places I would like to go. Um, Saskatchewan, hands down, the best place I've gone to. Central Valley of California is a place that I have not been to but I would like to. Um, a close second, if I'm going to other places that I've, that I've enjoyed, um, 
you know, it's probably going to be the Texas coast. There's just so many different opportunities there, whether you're talking about redhead hunting in the Laguna Madre or you're talking about hunting puddle ducks, pintails, or or, or, or geese. Goose hunting is kind of, we know the story there, it's kind of gotten a little tougher there on the Texas coast over the past 5, 10, 15 years. But just so many opportunities there uh, along the Texas coast of different types of hunting that, that a person has access to. What would you say is your favorite strategy or tactic? And I know that's a loaded question. So let me preface this a little bit because I know it's a very loaded question because it depends on the area you're hunting, the the time of year, the season. So maybe just to highlight your favorite time of year to hunt and then go into what your favorite strategy or tactic is during that time of year. I'm probably not going to be too different from a lot of other people. When you think about favorite, you know, it's the, it's, when I think of what's my favorite, I think about the type of experience that I would like to relive over and over again if, if I could. And I go back to where I grew up. I go back to the type of hunting that I did that made me so connected to the waterfowl resource, so well, it put me on my path to this particular profession. And it's not a very charismatic location. It's not a very charismatic habitat type even. And it wasn't even a place that where we saw tons and tons of birds, but it's the place that made me who I am from a waterfowl perspective, waterfowling perspective. And that's north central Mississippi, not known as a waterfowling mecca, but January January mallards in naturally flooded uh, scrub shrub, flooded timber, uh, and you know late like late January, fully plumed red leg mallards. I, you know, it just I've had so many good experiences in that particular setting that I have to go back there in my mind as as the favorite. And from a strategy standpoint, I like to keep it simple. You know, in those situ in those places. And maybe that's why I – another reason why I like it is because I could succeed in those late January, mid-January conditions without really elaborate setups. You know, I I didn't have to carry in six dozen decoys or anything of that nature. As you get later into the hunting season, later into winter, you know, behavior of ducks is changing, especially when you're talking about mallards. They're paired up, so sometimes it behooves you to go with a simpler approach, and so – I just always liked the simpler approach, fewer decoys, spacing them out in pairs, trying to make them look as natural as possible. Uh, and, you know, we did never hunted with a huge number of people, so that kind of makes it a little bit easier too. But that's that's probably not the sexiest ans- answer you'll ever get on <laughs> any of your episodes. But, man, it's just what connected with me and helped make me who I am. Yeah, I mean, but you know what? It, it, it drives home the point. And I tell guys the same thing all the time because we get asked a lot of questions. And it's always, you know, the root of it is always keep it simple. Don't try to overdo it. Um, most guys don't have, most guys are weekend warriors too, right? And I feel like as we, as a weekend warrior, myself included in that even, um, as a weekend warrior, you just don't have time to go be carrying six dozen decoys in. You don't have time to be, you know, going out and just running back and forth and setting everything up. And by the time you get everything set up, you're out there at three in the morning. And, you know, before you know it, it's lunchtime and then your weekend is over and you spent half your time putting out decoys and picking them up. So, you know, I I think keeping it simple and not overdoing it. And, 
you know, like you said, just making it look as natural as possible and bringing those ducks in is, is the perfect time to do it. Um, you know, understand later in the winter, understand, you know, you might be hunting a field or you might be hunting someplace else in some other area of the country. And I'm up here in Wisconsin. So it's the same, same as it would be down in Mississippi, right? Just try to keep it simple and not overdo it. You know, usually a lot of times I'll just take four or five decoys out, six decoys, just half a dozen even, and just do something different. And what I like about what you're saying there too, is like, you got the guys upstream, right. That are hunting and they're shooting at ducks as the ducks are migrating down and they've got these big elaborate setups. And so a lot of times keeping it simple, honestly, it gives the ducks something different to look at too, right. right? They're not fooled by, you know, 30 decoys sitting out and out in front of them. And then all of a sudden they see one that's like six, eight, maybe a dozen. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like this is way more natural looking. It's not um, overwhelming. So yeah. You know, part of it, like you said, it too, is understanding duck behavior at the certain times of year. So I do, I do like that approach when you say keep it simple. That's really what I pull out of that and how I would relate to that is keep it simple. So yeah, um, yeah. we've all heard the kiss method, right? Keep that's it simple, right. Stupid. So that's same right. scenario. That's right. Now, uh, I, I will say I have complete admiration and respect for people that go very elaborate, that, that go, you know, to the, sure. um, go all out some cases they have to because of where they're hunting the type of competition they're facing and they're really successful with it one of the one of the i guess more memorable series of experiences i've had in terms of being exposed to hunting in an area and of a type that i didn't grow up with was with a, a buddy of mine co-worker in and in, in sort of a, a few years ago in a previous position uh, n- not co-worker in the same office but we colleagues i guess we would say he hunts on Lake St. Clair, the St. Clair Flats up in Michigan, and just seeing the type of hunting that he did, the strategies, the the, ta- the, the tactics that he used, long lining for divers and, and pulling a boat up into a stand of cattail or frag and, and uh, hunting and, and being successful in killing 13 different species of waterfowl or of ducks over the course of a weekend was just it just blew me away you know everything from black ducks to uh long-tailed ducks to uh harlequin not harlequin um that'd be totally that would, would that would be interesting uh red-breasted merganser you know just a tremendous diversity canvas backs redheads and then of course all the dabblers you throw in there as well hunting in a place like that and seeing the different tactics that he used and getting to experience that from a sort of collection of experiences, hunting experience perspective, that's probably the most memorable uh, that I've had. So pretty cool. And there's a lot of places like that that offer their unique, um, their own unique stories. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, it's, it's awesome to shoot, have that opportunity to shoot that many different ducks in in a single weekend. I mean, you really can't beat an experience like that. Uh, If there was one place that you could recommend people go to, you know, and and I know it's probably a loaded question. You're probably going to say Mississippi, but you know, someone that's looking for a new experience that, you know, again, they, they, they've hunted one area for so long and, and maybe, you know, post COVID they're ready to get out. They're ready to travel. They're ready to go try something new and different. Where, what, what would be your recommendation for somebody and where would you recommend they go? Well, I can't get out of this conversation without recommending <laughs> somebody hunt green tree reservoirs in Arkansas, an iconic habitat type an iconic hunting destination you can't go wrong there. If you've never experienced it, you need to. It is one of the things that every waterfowl hunter needs to have on their checklist. If you've been to 
if you've done that and you're looking for another location, you know, you got to go to somewhere on the prairies, fall hunting in the prairies, whether it be the U.S. prairies or Canadian prairies. Uh, and then those would probably be uh, my, my top two. Obviously, there's tremendous hunting in the Great Lakes, in Louisiana, the Texas coast, Central Valley of California, uh, and and each of those can be uh, a case could be made and and I'm sure there are tons of people that are listening to this, each of whom would identify those areas as must have on their destination list. And uh, I can't argue with that, but just, you know, the ones that kind of stand out to me in my mind for whatever reason or another, um, you know, the GTRs of flooded timber of Arkansas and then somewhere on the prairies. Um, So you asked me for one, but I I had to give you two. (laughs) (laughs) No, and that's fair, man. We we appreciate that because, Again, we, we get guys just emailing in like, hey, who do you recommend for a hunting guide in, in this area or that area? And we don't recommend, you know, one hunting guide over another. It's, hey, here are the areas that you need to go check out. So I always like to pick people's brains on what's in what's in your mind just to give guys ideas and keep guys inspired. And, yeah, Arkansas, I think, is number one on the list for pretty much everybody that we've talked to. Um, I myself, I try to get, I haven't been down there. It's been uh, two years. I didn't get down there last year, but I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back down there again this year. And it, it is, I, I have to agree. It is an absolute blast. It's just, yeah. it is just yeah. an absolute blast. If, 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 if the weather cooperates and everything works out, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You'll get a ton of opportunity to take some ducks if you, if you got the time to get down there. So, yeah. And that's not to sell short any other destination where you're hunting for sea ducks in the North Atlantic, whether you're hunting for, uh, greater scop and the columbia river out out in the pacific northwest or or any other place in between south atlantic it just uh, blue wings in florida there's fantastic places fantastic opportunities for hunting pretty much anywhere you go across this country where you find good wetlands for waterfowl absolutely i want to shift gears again uh, mainly just to keep our keep our viewers and our listeners attention up a little bit but uh, <laughs> uh in terms of What's going on at, at, at Ducks Unlimited as conservationists and as hunters, part of our job, part of our responsibility is to raise up the next generation and introduce new people to the sport of hunting. What programs or what, what things do you guys do to reach out and potentially expose new hunters and introduce them to the sport? You know, we're involved in a number of um, – in, in, in variety of capacities, you know, university hunt programs. I know Delta Waterfowl, I'll give them a plug here for the work that they're doing in those uh, university hunt programs, engaging with, with uh, universities, with students at the university level to introduce people that previously were not exposed to hunting to, uh, inter- to introduce them to it. We provide some support in some of those programs, and there's other things that we do in collaboration with the states – uh, on on youth hunting programs from a programmatic standpoint a lot of our work with regard to youth is in engaging them in the other aspect of conservation which is uh, the work that we do uh, fundraising for for conservation efforts uh, we've I've said it on a previous episode and I've heard other people say it as well conservation without funding is just conversation so the other key part of, of what we do and what all of the waterfowl management community does is find ways to raise funds to deliver on the conservation that's needed to support waterfowl populations. So we actually have some pretty active programs. Youth, Our youth and education is centered around getting people introduced to our – to Ducks Unlimited 
as a way for them to engage in, uh, in, in our grassroots efforts. We have varsity chapters, which are our high school level chapters. We have our university chapters. And those are all run by people at that high school level or at that at that collegiate level. Those those programs provide key life skills to each of those people. And it's also Ducks Unlimited chapters are a fantastic way to get people engaged and uh, connected to other people that already hunt. So we've heard numerous stories about how people come to these came to these Ducks Unlimited chapters uh, at the at the varsity and, and university level ended up making friends, ended up hunting, and became lifelong hunting friends with the people they met in these chapters. So there's more than one way to, quote, skin a cat in terms of how we're recruiting people to the waterfowl uh, community, uh, the, the, both the conservation side of things directly through what Ducks Unlimited does and all of our fundraising, but then also introducing them to hunting through those same avenues. Uh, but, you know, all the other different programs, the uh, recruitment, retention, reactivation programs that are going on out there, Ducks Unlimited has its hands in a number of those efforts. Um, so it's uh, – and, and there's a lot of other programs that are, that are going on that are all really valuable and needed. Yeah, I, I think you can't have enough of that stuff. And, and introducing new hunters, I mean, like I said, it's part of our responsibility and part of our job. And so thanks for sharing that. You guys are doing some awesome stuff in, in conjunction with some other partners, which is also fantastic to have that. So it's a unified effort. And uh, I think if we, if, we, if we don't reach and inspire our youth to become hunters and, and get involved on the conservation side of it, it's just like you said, I love it. I've never heard it put that way, but it's just a conversation. So We've got to accept that responsibility and and keep it keep, keep our heritage, keep our roots there, and keep on growing and keep on educating until this thing really does go mainstream and mainstream really understands the value of hunters. So that's right. Thank you guys for that. Uh, a quick background question that I thought of as we were kind of talking here: How did you come to get started with Ducks Unlimited? How well. So my history with Ducks Unlimited goes way back to when I was a green wing. Uh, my brother and I were taken, you know, like a lot of people, uh, my dad was a, a Ducks Unlimited member. He became involved in a local Ducks Unlimited chapter, and so he would always take my brother and I to uh, to the local DU banquet. My brother was the one that would always win. He was luckier than I on the on the raffles. He, I have, well, we have two. 20-gauge, single-shot, green-wing edition, uh, you know, shotguns. My brother won both of those, but I have one of them. He's nice enough to give me one of those. And, you know, so my first introduction to Ducks Unlimited was as a member, as a green-wing, way back. And from a from an employment standpoint, it, it all really – my path to DU began when I was in, I guess, really undergraduate. I knew – you know, whenever I enrolled in college, I began to think about what do you want to do when you grow up. I was fascinated with the outdoors and wanted to find a way that I can that I could continue to that I could marry my my outdoor my love for the outdoors with some sort of gainful employment, some sort of career. And so I, um, a short version of this is, I established my major in wildlife science. I met up with a my. Uh, my advisor at Mississippi State was Dr. Rick Kaminsky, and once I met him, he basically helped me. He helped open the door to a lot of networking. You know, you get in the industry. Everything starts by getting your foot in the door and representing yourself well, 
working hard, doing good work, and then if you can do those things, then you can go a long way regardless of what it is that you're pursuing, regardless of what career. And I've been fortunate to continue on that on that path and have met a ton of different people. And once you begin to network, understand, learn about the opportunities, career opportunities, then you then you can begin to uh, you know chart a path to to where you want to be. When I graduated from Ohio State with my 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 PhD uh, PhD, I began looking around for jobs. And the first job that I had, well, the first job applied for several jobs. The one that that I was offered was uh, with Ducks Unlimited as a biological team leader for the Gulf Coast Joint Venture. It's a part, uh, conservation partnership, bird conservation partnership down on the Gulf Coast. That was my first employment or that was you know my, my first job out of college and that was with ducks unlimited and that was in 2005 and i've been with them ever since wow that's awesome man that's that's an incredible story so it means that that's you know and i think you know that tenure it speaks volumes about du internally about you know the, the ability to retain you and, and obviously you see something in the company and so it's, that means you guys are doing really good things, both inside and out, which is also a very positive thing. So thanks for sharing your story with us. So I have two more questions for you, okay. uh, and it's really kind of rolled into rolled into one. What's your favorite hunting experience or memory from a kid and most recent? Man, you always ask, you're asking me all these. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? <laughs> you didn't ask me what my favorite waterfowl species is. That's a typical one. But we're getting there. You can okay. answer that too. <laughs> all right. So my favorite hunting experience growing up was the one that that put me on this path. It was sort of this aha moment. I've talked about it with with other people. It was this aha moment where I was going through. Maybe it was early college, late high school. I was, as I described, trying to find a a way that I could marry my love of the outdoors with a career and my dad and I were at that time I didn't know if I wanted to go I I didn't know didn't know if it was if I wanted to go waterfowl or if I wanted to kind of be marine biologist for example or if I wanted to be a fisheries biologist or whatever I I didn't know my dad and I were hunting one of the places that I described one of the places where I grew up hunting it was just the two of us it was a slow day, a bluebird day. I don't even know if we had fired a shot yet. We were sitting there talking. It was a father-son kind of moment, just enjoying the, the day. And lone Drake Mallard comes flying in. And, you know, we, we saw it from a long distance away. We heard it, saw it from a long distance away. And then, of course, it circled around and the sun was at our back and its wings were cupped up and coming into the decoys and uh, bright red legs extended and you know we we dropped it and that's a moment that I just remember as think uh, thinking that's that's pretty freaking cool um, I could I could get a lot of enjoyment and a lot of satisfaction out of a career that allowed me to stay in touch with this particular resource. And so that's it. That's it. That's my moment. That's the, that's the moment that changed my life uh, in terms of my, my career path. Most recent favorite experience, that's going to be a little tougher. Um, what would that be? My goodness. Um, 
like we we yeah so in the i guess we're talking hunting favorite hunting experience favorite hunting experience here in recent times mm-hmm. i'm going to miss one here but the one that that jumps out and it's actually it was it's not waterfowl we were up there for waterfowl hunting but it's the other type of hunting that people do whenever they go to Saskatchewan it's sandhill crane hunting i was there with my dad i was there with a, a good friend a couple of good friends of mine and we 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 kind of lucked out find the right spot got right under sandhill crane flight line and you know we each we each dropped our five cranes and so 20 sandhill cranes is that's quite a load um, yeah, it is a load <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not a small bird <laughs> no, it's not try shoving that in the back of a suburban with all your other gear while you're you know the first day when you got there and you haven't unloaded everything yet that was something else so that one obviously sticks out in my mind. Um, so I would, then that's probably even ten years ago. So more recent, I would have to, you know, I, nothing jumps jumps out really. Um, I could talk about sure. shooting six ringnecks with seven shots last fall. That was pretty special with a good friend wow. of mine up there on on Lake Saint Clair. I think it also made it a little bit more special that he was struggling on his shooting that day. But uh, no, I have to go back to that one to the Sandhill Cranes. All right. Fair enough. That's awesome. You know, I haven't had the opportunity to, to, to shoot at Sandhill Crane yet. Um, they're trying to get it approved here in Wisconsin and actually have a season for it. We have a very large migration that comes through not far from where I'm actually located in South Central Wisconsin, um, where the, where they, they come and they land and they've made a little preserve for them to, and a little habitat for them. And they don't allow hunting there right now. And they're talking about maybe next year trying to get something approved here in Wisconsin and have an actual season for it, which the, the way the population is exploding down here, I, I believe at some point, it may not be this year or next, but at some point, I think they're going to have to, especially in the interest of conservation. So yeah. uh, I'll look forward to that and I'll take you up. I'll take your word for that. And uh, definitely if I get the opportunity take advantage of it. So and it is an absolutely wonderful bird for the table. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's my favorite. Yeah, I've heard that up here in Wisconsin. They call it the ribeye of the sky. So, that's right. exactly. uh, you know, I think that's what most people call it. And, uh, you know, it sounds like that holds true. So I'll yep. look forward to that opportunity one day, hopefully soon. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then back to the original question, uh, uh, favorite species to hunt. I'd always, uh, prior to, I guess, this past year, I'd always sort of, I guess, dodged that question, was always noncommittal, saying, oh, I can't pick a favorite. I like them all. They're cool in their own right. But this past year, I, I don't know, maybe because I hunted them a bit more often, maybe because they salvaged this past season for me, gave me renewed appreciation for them. But I'm going to have to say the wood duck. It's it's a species that tastes tastes great to begin with. It is one of our most beautiful species of waterfowl, if not the most beautiful here in North America. And the, the hen wood duck is is very attractive in her own right. Obviously, the male is incredibly ornate. The other thing that I like about the wood duck is that it is a species, very charismatic because of all the coloration, very easy for a lot of people to see if they're in the right place. It is widespread across the eastern U.S., basically yeah, the eastern U.S., and you can find pockets of it out west, the Central Valley, portions of Nevada, other riparian areas. And it's a species that is present year-round in a lot of the southern locations 
that otherwise are just sort of restricted to seeing the diversity of waterfowl during fall and winter, you know, with the exception of the uh, temperate nesting Canada geese, resident Canada geese, and then and then uh, park mallards. But um, yeah, it's it's our it, it's widespread, beautiful, fun to hunt, challenging to hunt. Uh, great table fare, just has so much going for it. It's a great ambassador for waterfowl, I would say. I'd have to agree. That's one of my favorite species to hunt too. It's um, They're just fun to shoot. Um, they're pretty simple because of the coloration. They're pretty simple to identify, especially if you're new to duck hunting. I, I think, you know, for a new duck hunter to hunt wood duck, I think is a great idea and a great first if you have that opportunity first experience, because then you don't have to worry about, oh, is, you know, can, is that a legal duck that I can shoot? Right. Um, like, like we said, they're very easy to identify. So yeah, um, yeah that's, that, that's fantastic. Uh, they're also duck. one of the, they're also one of the most well-studied duck species out there. You know, their cavity nesting behavior allows us, makes them, makes them amenable to a lot of type, a lot of nesting studies that we otherwise would be challenged to do so from a science perspective they're incredibly cool in that regard too yeah definitely that, that that's really cool favorite duck call i know i know you you've committed to, to, to wood ducks here so favorite duck call <laughs> and you don't have to be committal here let me let now, me what be clear you, so you're talking about <laughs> I know it's tough and it's 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 a really tough it's a really tough question to answer but i know i know if somebody's listening to this podcast i know they're going to email in and ask us that question like hey what's his favorite duck call so you, you're not talking like brand of duck call are you not brand of duck call no. just favorite duck call i i, I don't want to get into brands because yeah, there's, a, there's right. a million of them <laughs> oh i'm you know i'm 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 not very fancy in this regard. I I blew a, a a double reed, just sort of standard J frame for the longest time, and I think I have both uh, standard, you know, um, Arkansas style single and double reed um, J frame calls right now. I have several of those, and so nothing special there, um, Arkansas style. But a lot of that's just due to sort of the proximity of, of where I grew up, and right. um, so yeah. Sorry, nothing too fancy there. No, no, it's, it's, it's great. I just, I just know that if I don't ask it, I'm, I'm going to get asked that question, then I'm going to have to defer to you. So we'll just, we'll just toss it out there. Uh, What would you say to encourage, you know, some of the new guys, maybe, maybe they, maybe they haven't had their first experience yet. Maybe they're just getting into the sport. What words of encouragement would you offer them or advice would you offer them to, to keep them going? I would consider the most per- the, the most important piece of advice for every duck hunter out there. Don't expect to kill a limit of ducks every time you go out. That's unreasonable. That's, that's unreasonable for any type of hunting or fishing. Don't let that be your expectation. Let your expectation be getting out, enjoying the opportunity to hunt this amazing resource that has recovered from incredibly low population levels if you go all the way back to the commercial hunting days market hunting days of the late 1900s um early 1900s to the to the point where we now have record levels near have had near record levels here in well they say that have had record levels about uh what seven eight nine years ago i think the the it would have been an incredible story of of conservation over the long term we continue to face incredible challenges with regard to the habitat that they need but it's a it is a remarkable group of birds 
let that be one of the things that you try to enjoy. Sure, we all want to get out there and kill some ducks, and we we should expect yep. to do that. But don't let a limit of ducks, a full strap of ducks, be your expectation every time you get out because that's not going to happen. Enjoy those days where you have a fantastic outing where everything lines up and you're able to limit out or everybody in the party is able to limit out. Those are rare. They should be rare. So that's my one piece of advice is set your expectations and let the one thing that you expect every time be to appreciate and admire the resource for what it is and for what it gives us. Yeah. And I think I could summarize that in two words. Keep hunting. Um, keep hunting. You know, that's right. That's right. Keep hunting. Um, that's really the re- the reality of it. And, and really it even just goes beyond just hunting. You can, you can throw it out in, in fishing. And, you know, I took uh, uh, my two young kids, my daughter's three, my son is six. And I took them fishing this Sunday and we got out there about 11 o'clock and within 20 minutes, my three-year-old daughter caught the first two fish right away. And then just nothing. And of course, my six-year-old son, you know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and he's just getting real impatient. And he's getting real upset because his sister's beating him in fishing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I had to remind him. I said, well, I, I said, listen, I said, are you not having fun just being outside? And immediately my three-year-old, bless her heart, she's, she's like, daddy, I, I love being outside. I, I, I love the wind. I, I can hear all the birds. And I said, see, and I, I told my my son, I said, see, it's like that. I said, are you not just having fun being outside and the wind hitting your face, being on the water and just listening to the sounds of nature? And, you know, we went on, I went on a field trip with him recently and he was, uh, it was a nature trip. And of course, you know, he wanted dad to go and, and uh, it was all about being a nature detective. And I had to remind him, remember that field trip where you're just being a nature detective and you're listening and you're observing and you're seeing all the things. And he went, yeah, dad, this is really fun, but I really want to catch a fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's and right. That's so, right. but I just had to remind him like, hey, it's not about, and I see exactly what we talked about. It's not about limiting out. It's not about catching the fish at the end yeah. of the day. It's, it's, yeah. it's about just being outside and yeah. enjoying ourselves. I said, do you even have any idea what time it is right now? And he said, no, what time is it? I'm like, it's four o'clock. Like we've been here for almost six hours and you haven't caught a fish yet. And we're still here. You haven't said you want to go home yet. So I'm like, that means you have to be having some sort of fun. Otherwise you'd be asking me to go home. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Right. Yep. Now, thankfully, right, it wasn't 10 minutes later, right, you know, the the afternoon bite turned on and he caught like 10 fish right in a row. And I couldn't I couldn't bait both their hooks quick enough to. Yeah. So I ended up just pulling my line out of the water and letting them go at it. And, and it ended up being fun. And he was happy because he caught more fish than his sister. So even on the way out, you know, I'm like, like, hey, look, I know you caught more than your sister. But look, it's it's still not about that, right? I'm like, it's yeah. still just the experience of being right. here. And I think if we can instill that in any young hunter, any new hunter, and instill and, and just get them to manage their expectations and then just enjoy the outdoors. That's really yeah. what it's all about, just enjoying the outdoors and being outside. So, yep. um, you know, keep hunting, keep fishing. That's all I can say. And then just learn to enjoy it. Um, learn to disconnect. You know, one thing I do personally, even... Uh, Mike, I always, I have my phone, but I put it on airplane mode anytime I'm out fishing or hunting and try to just really just completely disconnect from the day-to-day type of stuff and and really, you know, truly just settle in and enjoy it. So it's a great piece of advice. So thanks for sharing, man. I really do appreciate that. Well, your, your, Uh, your advice there at the tail end is, is great as well, because when you shut off those distractions, it allows you to focus more on all the other aspects of of what you're experiencing, you know, it, it's, it's 
the sights, the sounds, the sunrise, the other birds that are calling, muskrats swimming through the water. I don't think we realize how – I don't want to say fortunate because we're sort of making our own fortune here. I don't think a lot of us realize how much fuller our life is because we are out there experiencing all of those things and becoming aware of those things, being a, being aware of our place within this natural world and realizing that there's a whole host of natural wild things out there. And mm. we're out there interacting with them and observing them and, and appreciating it. So I don't want to geek out too much on sort of the nature appreciation thing there because I, <laughs> I can get there quick. But I can too. I, so I, I can relate. But it is, you know, don't take that for granted. We as hunters and anglers have have an environmental education, have an outdoor education that that a lot of people don't have. The people that don't get outside into the truly wild places. You tell you talk to some people from say residential or urban areas about what we do and where we go and at night and in the dark and and they're like, Y'all are crazy, you know? It's nope. it's <laughs> <laughs> like no, we love it, you know, and and so don't take those things for granted. We are we are special as conservationists, hunters, and anglers, and and others that get out there in that element because of our appreciation, our education, um, and the way we value those resources and are dedicated to conserving them for uh, for the future. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and I've shared this on another episode, but the way I grew up, whether we were camping, hunting, fishing, whatever, dad always taught me, like, leave the resource in a better way than you found it. And anything you can do to do that, please do it. So, you know, and it was funny, we pulled in to go fishing yesterday and my son immediately is like, dad, somebody littered. I'm like, yeah, let's pick that up. Right. And we ended up finding a, uh, we actually ended up finding a a bread sack while we were there, a a grocery bag. And by the time we left, we had the the entire grocery bag was filled. I mean, it was amazing. And both my kids were like really eager to help and pick up and clean up. And it was really awesome to see that because there was no coaching. There was no, we need to do this. It was just like a natural thing. And it, it was really exciting to see that they were eager. And my son recognized that people were littering. And, and so I'm, again, passing that down to the next generation of, hey, let's leave the resource in a better place and a, and a better way than we found it. And by doing that, right, we'll pr- help protect and conserve the resource so we can use it for years and years to come. And yep. uh, I think if we can continue to inspire people to do that, because uh, a lot of times we don't get credit for that, right? Nobody's going to, you know, thank me for picking up that, you know, maybe if the trash guy or the DNR officer was there and saw us do it, maybe. But generally speaking, right, you don't get thanked and you don't get recognized for that. And we don't want that either, right, necessarily. It's more just like, let's let's conserve, let's protect the resource yep. and make it better for the next guy yep. or the next family or the next child or the next, next, next generation of hunters, right? So... Yep. That's exactly right, and I appreciate you doing that, picking up the litter when you're out there. I do the same thing. You know, we as, we as hunters and anglers need to be the best caretakers of that resource. Exactly. And so whether it be things that we carry in with us, you know, whether it be a, a shell box or hulls or whatever, you know, to the extent that, that, that we can, let's make sure we, we take that stuff out with us. So I appreciate, appreciate you doing that and, and teaching that message to your kids. Yeah, absolutely. That'll hopefully continue on and carry on to the next generation when they're, you know, when they're ready. And that's really my main thing is just making sure that, you know, prepping them to, you know, be good, good young people and uh, at some point, good members of society. Yeah. 
Um, well, hey, Mike, we're 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 going on. I know, I know, I could I could talk to you all day, man. And I know, I know, time is of the essence. And uh, you know, I want to say again, thank you, uh, uh, thank you a ton for your time and energy and your your thought in in being here. I really do sincerely appreciate you taking time to just speak with our 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 fans and our followings here at Duck Hunting Fanatics. It's been awesome uh, to have you on the show and, and hopefully, hopefully we can jump on your schedule and maybe have you on another episode later. And uh, we'll just kind of continue this conversation if you're open to that. Absolutely. Anytime you want an update on uh, whether it be breeding populations, you know, we do a year end season in review. That's something we started doing here a couple of years ago, producing a little report, summarize major weather patterns that unfolded, any of that kind of stuff uh, or anything else that you want to talk about. Conservation happenings of the day. Always happy to make ourselves available to talk to our to our members and other waterfowl supporters out there. So thanks for having me, Eric. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And and anyone that wants to get involved, obviously, I mean, as duck hunters, we've all heard of Ducks Unlimited and you see the website up there on for those of you that are maybe watching this um, at ducks.org. And then you can, if you scroll to the bottom, you'll see the links to all the social profiles, get out, get get active, get involved with Ducks Unlimited in any way that you can. Um, if nothing else, just purely for your own knowledge, especially if you're new to the sport, uh, they provide a ton of resources uh, in terms of for for those of you that are new, experienced, regardless of age, regardless of experience. Th- there's a lot they have to offer, so we'd encourage you, you know, here at Duck Hunting Fanatics, to go check out Ducks Unlimited at ducks.org and get involved with them any way that you can. So, once again, Mike, appreciate your time, my friend, and uh, thanks again for being here. Everyone else here at Duck Hunting Fanatics, want to thank you guys for tuning in and for listening. Without you guys. Uh, our, our, our friends, our followers engaging with us and, and, and listening and downloading our content, we wouldn't be able to do this. So thank you guys for tuning in as well. Thank you, Eric. You bet. Now that was a little longer than 10 minutes. It was a lot longer than 10 <laughs> minutes, but I didn't.